Welcome to Indispensable, where we provide you with evidence-based medication advice so that you can feel empowered about your own health. I'm your host, Anna Barwick, and I'm an experienced clinical pharmacist, academic and PhD candidate. Join me as we hear from the medication experts, pharmacists. Episode 15, Chronic Pain, Relief, Mobility and the A-Team. Nicolette Ellis is an Advanced Pharmacist Advisor for Queensland Health and Senior Clinical Pharmacist for Beyond Pain, an interdisciplinary persistent pain video conferencing program. A regular presenter and national trainer, she is passionate about improving access to multidisciplinary care for those living with persistent pain. She also runs The Rainbow Pharmacist, a content series featuring prominent influencers in pharmacy and exploring all the colours of the healthcare rainbow. Hi, Nicolette. Thank you so much for joining us on Indispensable. Thanks, Nicolette. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Nicolette, you're an expert uh, around chronic pain. So can you tell us what are the causes of chronic pain? Yeah, sure. Um, I hate the word expert because I learn lots and lots from actually my clients and I was speaking to uh, one this morning and um, it was amazing how fantastic he was managing his pain condition and um, it was just a privilege to be a part of it. So I'm, I feel very um, privileged to be working in this space and working with people who live with pain. So back to your question about what are the causes of chronic pain it's really hard to define because there's actually over 500 different types of um, chronic pain conditions and again the cause of the pain is really variable so if we look at what is chronic pain it's unfortunately it's just defined as pain that lasts more than three to six months um, beyond that period and we do have sort of relatively new classifications of pain conditions so it's important for, I guess, people to understand what their type of pain is. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, we can't define it um, because it might even be mixed. It might be a mixed presentation of different types of pain. So the types of pain that exist are a neuropathic type of pain. There's also one called nociceptive, which is um, nociceptors are receptors in our body that are pain receptors. And then there's a newer sort of um, definition called nociplastic. So I'll go through each one so that we can clear it up for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so neuropathic pain is... The types of conditions are kind of um, are like diabetic neuropathy, if people have heard of that before, spinal cord injuries, um, multiple sclerosis is also a type of neuropathic pain. And this means that there is an actual damage or a lesion to the what we call the somatosensory system. So the the nervous system basically. So there is damage to it and it can be measured by a, a really good workup by your um, GP or a pain specialist. Um, and so that would be a type of neuropathic pain. And it's really important to know that as a, as a person living with pain, if you have true neuropathic pain, um, because the medications are different depending on the different types of um, pain that presents as well. So, um, 
In regards to neuropathic pain, we have a number of different medications that can be used in that area um, that you probably wouldn't use in other conditions like nociceptive and nociplastic pain. So that's something to be really mindful about as a, as a person living with pain. Do I have the right pain classification? And again, like I said, it can be mixed. So then that complicates things a little bit more. Uh, nociceptive pain, um, which I was saying before, is nociceptors are pain receptors. And this is um, generally caused by a functional change. Um, so osteoarthritis is a really good example of that. There's functional changes that happen to the skeletal system. Uh, endometriosis is another good example of um, nociceptive pain. And that's because of the uterine lining growing outside of, of the uterus. And the good thing with these kind of conditions is that if there is a functional change, sometimes we can do um, either surgery or an intervention to assist with that. So uh, a knee replacement or they have um, laparoscopy for endometriosis. But then there's that period of rehabilitation that is really, really critical in making sure that we can improve your pain condition. And sometimes um, my partner, actually, she lives with endometriosis, wow. but she's been very successful in her treatment and has been able to significantly change her pain um so no longer is she living with pain 24 7 it's you know managing flare-ups at the moment which is a really good outcome really good. Yeah. so the next one nociplastic pain um people might have heard the term central sensitization in the past um, and basically, we don't, the, the definition of it is we don't really have a reasoning or a, a functional reasoning as to why this is happening in the system. We do know why it's happening in the system. Um, and basically, there's changes to the nervous system that has um, changed the way that the brain, the nervous system, the spinal cord processes pain. And unfortunately, it's kind of like in this loop and it's continuing to send the signal despite there being a reason for there to be a signal in the first place. Mm. Um, so it's quite confusing. And I think one of the things that really frustrates me is people or clients that I speak, speak to, they say that they've ma been made to feel like it's in their head mm. and, and pain is never in your head. Mm. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So the kind of conditions that fit within nociplastic pain is um, conditions like fibromyalgia, lower back pain can be um, nociplastic. And another one um, that's quite unusual is complex regional pain syndrome. So I said that there's no functional reason, but we do know that it's caused by severe viral infections mm -hmm. in some cases. So a, a large stress response. And one of the things that I forgot to mention is, yes, it includes the brain, the spinal cord um, and the nervous system, but it also includes the immune system. So that's where viral infections, I've seen people with fibromyalgia who have had Ross River fever, um, and a significant infection, and that's caused, unfortunately, a pain consequence at the end. Um, and also very significant psychological distress. I've seen patients who, um, or clients that have, you know, had a significant event in their life, and unfortunately, as a consequence, they've been living with pain as a result of that, that stress as well. So I guess to sort of summarise, the causes of chronic pain can be very vast. But from my point of view, as a, as a pharmacist and someone who works with people who live with pain, understanding the classification is, is really helpful 
in understanding where medications can be placed in your treatment. Also understanding for yourself what's happening to your system and that's not in your head mm -hmm. <laughs> and that it's definitely changes to the nervous system. And as I said before, it can be complex because you can have a mixed presentation. Yeah. And it sounds like in that too, Nicolette, and you've probably seen this as well, that, that idea of it being in your head, like it's almost stigmatized, isn't it? Like you're, you know, you're just being, you're just kind of putting it on or, you know, this is all just something that you've built up. And, and, and a lot of people then will often even avoid kind of um, managing their pain well and talking to health professionals because they're going to be seen as like a drug seeker or something like that. Can you tell us about your experience with that? Yeah, I think it's um, something that, you know, the health profession has been late to the game to recognise mm -hmm. as in, you know, the it's just interesting looking at the history of how we've sort of evolved with persistent pain and, and you know, working with clients who have been living with pain for 30-ish more years, they've been really um, looked at from a psychological point of view as in they need, you know, to you know, fix it in their brain somehow. But that is not the way that we know how to treat persistent pain um, in best practice in these days. And we do have very good evidence that there is significant changes to the nervous system, the central nervous system, and also the immune system, which allows those that pain amplification to occur. And I think we're this shift in focus about persistent pain is really empowering for people living with pain and I explain pain to them of what's happened, especially if they've been put in um, a box of, of too hard or they haven't been supported in their journey of how to accept pain as part of their life and, and move forward as well and giving them those sort of tools. So it's, it's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do. Um, and putting the power back to them and taking the power away from the pain, really. Essential, knowledgeable, indispensable. Your pharmacist. And, and I think it's then reassuring, so that if somebody has been dealing with pain, you know, for a long time and they, it hasn't been well managed and they haven't found a supportive health professional, it's reassuring for them to know that there are health professionals out there that, you know, we're getting more evidence, we're being able to apply it in new ways and, and obviously help people, which is fantastic mm -hmm. and a really great outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And so then how are some ways that chronic pain can actually be managed? Yeah. So I think with chronic pain and I don't know, Anna, if you've had the same experience, when I was at uni, we didn't have a course about chronic pain. And I would say most health professionals haven't had courses in chronic pain. And it's really been um, the people that I know who work in that area have done it out of interest or their own personal journey with chronic pain as well. So it's important um, that as the person living with chronic pain, you're very empowered in understanding your condition. And I think most people understand their condition much better than um, someone who's an expert in that area or a pain specialist. <laughs> and so I think one of the biggest keys is if you're talking to a, um, a health professional about helping you to manage your pain condition, that we should, the conversation should be around how is pain impacting their daily function, their activities of daily living is what we call it. Um, how is it impacting your sleep, your, you know, your ability to socialise with people, all of those things that really bring meaning to our life. 
that should be where the conversation to me should start. Um, and then what are some goals that we can look at to try and improve those things? Chronic conditions, I think it's poorly recognised the social and the psychological impact of what it does to your life. And those are the things that for most people are the most meaningful in their life. So if we have pain, we could live with a five out of 10 out of pain as long as we can do all of our activities that we really like doing. So it's about trying to shift the focus to, yes, we have pain, um, but what can we do to improve your function, your quality of life and, and enjoy life again um, and get you back to a working condition or voluntary or socialising again with, with people. So I think goal setting and is, is one of the key things that we need to look at first. And then what are we doing in our day-to-day -day activities that might be um, unhelpful behaviours that are preventing us from achieving those activities? And that could be, you know, it's very, very common to avoid movement because of pain. And, but unfortunately we get into that vicious cycle of, okay, so then we don't move and then we become deconditioned. And then when we try and move again, then we have a pain consequence and it's more significant than what it was previously. So looking at those, that sort of, um, that goal that you want to achieve and is there behaviours that we can sort of change and adjust for your self-management to improve your ability to achieve that goal. And it's always a goal of intent. It's, you know, if you don't succeed at something, then you feel bad about yourself and you shame yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important for people living with pain is that in a monologue, I find people with persistent pain, they're very hard on themselves mm. and they're very frustrated with themselves and they don't talk to themselves in the nicest way. So thinking about talking to yourself like you would talk to your best friend who's living with pain, how would you approach that situation? You would give them empathy and compassion and, and love. And that's what we, you know, living with pain is having that inner dialogue that's very supportive to, you, to your self-care and your self-management. Um, and I think those sort of techniques sort of take away the power that pain has in our lives as well. And of course, um, best practice is interdisciplinary care or multidisciplinary care. So having um, a really good GP who listens to you, understands you and identifies that this is a complex condition and it probably needs a number of health, health professionals to be involved. Having a really good exercise physiologist, physiotherapist to help support you with that self-management, those pacing strategies if you are avoiding movement or activities. And that can be really great for our mental health. I think psychologists are fantastic because, you know, that self-talk that we have um, improving that. And of course, I think pharmacists are amazing in this space in identifying, is this medication beneficial for you? Is it helping you achieve your goals? Um, are there other things that we could be doing to help your self-management um, and topical tr treatments, heat packs, ice packs, all of those sort of things? Um, and I speak very frequently to clients about vitamins and supplements um, and there is a place for them as well and sometimes it's not recognised. Um, so, yeah, all of those things, I think I talked forever <laughs> on that point, but there's lots to do in persistent pain and I think if you have a really good team, they should be the A team and they should be supporting you all that way um, and, and not putting you in the too hard basket either. 
Yeah, and it sounds like it can be really individualised too, which, I, again, I think is fantastic because we can't treat everyone the same. They're not going to respond how we expect them to. So I'm really interested about the vitamins and minerals. What, what do you recommend there? Uh, it depends on their sort of pain condition. And I'll, I always say, you know, we trial it for a period of time because we've got a lot of the time it's just mild evidence for them. Mm-hmm. So there is... Um, Uh, for conditions where it might be something like rheumatoid arthritis or it's an autoimmune condition that's causing the pain. Um, I've actually found that a um, curcumin and botswellia has been really helpful just to reduce inflammation overall. But again, it's individualized, like you said. So it's a trial period for maybe um, two to three months is what I recommend. Uh, Conditions like uh, the nociplastic pain, and I've also found quite useful sometimes with neuropathic pain is um, PEA or PEA, PEA maltoalmaldehyde. It's really hard to say. Um, And there's quite good evidence for it um, in a number of um, conditions that are nociplastic or neuropathic Um, and even visceral pain conditions. So internal pain conditions like endometriosis have been quite, I've found it quite useful. Um, and topical creams compounded by a pharmacist, we can actually put some good um, prescription-based medications in topical creams. And, you know, our skin is a huge vessel of nerves and nociceptors and all of those sort of things. And using them regularly and frequently is part of a good self-management strategy. Um, and it's also kind of tricking the brain saying, you know, I've got this, I've got you know, doing something preventative to help try to manage your daily activities throughout the day. So there's a few different vitamins that I do um, trial with patients with the provision that, you know, we trial it for a two to three month period. We measure prior to what your pain experience is during and then after as well. So we can actually really validate if it's been useful in your condition because things are expensive. You've got to think of the financial implications at the end as well. Absolutely. But I suppose for some people, I mean, if it works and it, you know, that's worth all the money, isn't it? You know, like if if that gets you back to doing what you love, getting around with your children or, you know, playing a bit of sport or whatever it is, I think, yeah, people can see that value. But like you said, it's worthwhile just doing a trial and, and figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. Indispensable advice for you. What are some common myths then about some pain medications that we you would probably often recommend and, and see prescribed with your patients? Yeah. So I guess the one thing that I think if I wanted anything to come out of the, um, the podcast for people who live with pain is that a medication is there to improve your function. So not necessary to take away the pain. Um, if it does reduce the pain, that's great. But if it allows you to move more freely or it, it you know helps with your sleep those sort of things um, that is a really huge benefit and and that's what we should be really measuring the benefit of a medication on very often I see clients who have been on medications for a long time um, still really unsure if that medication even works for them um, but they take it because it was told to help with their pain experience so and and that can be you know a bit of a teething process to get through to see if it is really benefiting um, benefiting that um, that client. 
And so I think it's always really good to review your medications regularly, whether it's with a pharmacist or, or your GP. And one of the things to keep in mind is that every medication, unfortunately, that we use in persistent pain is off-label. Mm. So off-label means that it is not indicated for persistent pain. Yes, it would probably be listed as um, a treatment for persistent pain. But when you look at the medications that we do use in persistent pain, we have antidepressants, we have anti-epileptic medications, um, we obviously have opioids, but unfortunately they work quite short term in persistent pain conditions um, and medicinal cannabis. So, and there's a few other ones that are sort of thrown in there, like simple analgesics and things. But when I was talking about, you know, what is the cause of chronic pain, it's really obviously very complex. And when I named those medications, a lot of them were indicated for, they weren't made for that particular in, in mind for persistent pain. They do have evidence in those conditions, but again, it's a trial, it's individualized, like you said, and it's, and it's a trial period. So the medications that are indicated for neuropathic pain, um, there's a really good tool called the CTOP tool, which I'll send um, to you as a link. And it's very, very helpful as in explaining what you could um, expect out of this medication for pain improvement or functional improvement. Um, and, it, and they're starting to sort of, um, they've got the CTOP tool for neuropathic pain. They ex explain each medication with um, sort of smiley faces. <laughs> so smiley faces to indicate that it um, can help this many people out of a hundred and, and that sort of thing. So I think it's quite useful and they're starting to develop it for things like osteoarthritis and, and other types of conditions too. So it's a really good tool to have a look at as a consumer who lives with pain to see, you know, what, what is the evidence behind my medications? So I think, um, yeah, basically just to recap on those things, they were off-label medications. They do have evidence in particular types of conditions, but what we want to do is measure the, the benefits for the, the individual. Is it helping to achieve my goals? Is it helping me to be more active? Is it helping with those, those functional improvements? Um, what we can expect is at best a 30% a 30% reduction in pain with medication. So it's always a piece of the pie. It's never the, you know, unfortunately we can't give people silver bullets with this condition. It's more complex than, than that. Um, it would be lovely to do that. And I hope one day that's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so that's interesting. And I noticed that you didn't Actually, call them painkillers, and I hear um, particularly other health professionals say it. And I think, oh, it's such a misleading kind of term, isn't it? Because it's it, like you say, it's not about killing or removing the pain completely, because we know that's not possible. So often, pain reliever is a is a better you know better term to kind of utilise. And so I often use that with my patients just to reassure them, and also in my teaching, I say, well, you know, when you go out, please don't say painkillers, because it gives this misleading idea of of what um, you know things like you say analgesics so you know your paracetamols and your ibuprofens what they will actually do they're not going to remove it but they're going to get you enough of a reduction that hopefully you can be getting back to what you want to do yeah exactly and that's you know where we've got to move the conversation to and not using the word painkiller i think yes. 
every pharmacist takes that term. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. And, oh, it makes me cringe whenever I hear it. <laughs> um, now, Nicolette, I also want to just drill down into some medications specifically because I know you mentioned opioids. And again, there seems to be a lot of um, misinformation and perhaps, again, stigmatisation about the use of opioids long term. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, opioids is, uh, like, I think it's an area that you need to have a, a bit of background in to understand the journey for the, the patient. And I'm, I feel like the pendulum is swinging different ways all the time. So before it was like way too many opioids. Now we're going to a point where even GPs are not comfortable with prescribing opioids. Um, and, you know, in Australia, we're starting to see um, real-time reporting coming available where, you know, it's unfortunately just because um, there are people who use them in the black market and those sort of things. And also we want to make sure that um, we're reducing the overdose issues that we're having in Australia in particular because it's quite significant. So it's it's more real-time reporting should be used as a safety mechanism and not as a way to um, de-prescribe or, or stop people abruptly from their medications. And that's really, um, it shouldn't be used as a tool to do that. It's about patient safety at the end of the day. And you can do much more patient harm by abruptly ceasing someone from an opioid or, or tapering them um, without their consent or without their, um, their sort of buy-in as well. So that's something that's really close to my heart because I've seen seen um, clients go down awful um, tracks and have um, suicide attempts and all of those sort of things. So I think um, if there's pharmacists or health professionals or GPs listening to the podcast as well, please think about what you're doing before you say, no, I'm not prescribing this or no, I'm not dispensing this and what the ramifications are for that person at the end of the day. Um, but going back to the question around opioids is that they're obviously you become tolerant to medications over a period of time. So the, the clinical trials that we do have around um, opioids and persistent pain, they show that there's no benefit usually after six months. So if you look at a cohort of say 10 people who live with pain and we um, persistent pain and we use an opioid, maybe half of them might have a benefit and then the other half won't. Mm -hmm. And if we look at it at six months, those five people out of that group, two-ish might have a benefit still. Mm -hmm. And then when we look at the medication at 12 months, basically one person out of that group of 10 may still have a benefit. So it's one of those things that, again, like any medication needs to be reviewed regularly. Is it beneficial for you? The problem with um, opioids is that when you get to um, a point of tolerance, you know, usually the next step is to increase the medication to, to counteract that tolerance. And then we see people on really high doses of opioids over a period of time. And then they start getting really significant side effects from those medications. Um, it actually suppresses our um, sex hormones, so testosterone and estrogen. I've seen women with um, hot flushes. They've been prescribed HRT therapy. It's not working. It's actually the opioids. Um, men with castrate levels of testosterone. And our sex hormones have actually been shown to reduce pain signals. And we've found that opioids do um, change the immune system and the nervous system by increasing that pain signal as well, which is a term called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. 
So there's lots of things that opioids can do to you over a period of time that are not beneficial for you for your pain condition. I find that if there is patient buy-in, they're interested in, in tapering and reducing the medication. And to me, I don't think I've had many conversations where people are not interested and actually they haven't had the conversation or haven't been spoken to about what they could do with that medication. Um, it's kind of just done to them if, if it's deprescribed or, or, or they're being told that it can cause addiction and that's why they should reduce it, which is, you know, it needs to be meaningful to them the reason as to why it should be reduced. So um, I've, I've always been quite successful at having those conversations um, with patients and sort of outlining to them what the medication is doing to their, their body. And I think um, pharmacists are really well placed at, at having those conversations as well as GPs. And then coming up with a, a plan of how do we manage this medication? And, and that's really important. And it's, it's, Obviously, we can have withdrawals or rebound effects, so you can get more pain when you're coming down off the medication. But if it's done in a way that's really slow, really gradual, um, the longest time I ever spent reducing someone was over two years. So it can take a really long time, depending on you know the, the dose of the medication and those sort of things. Um, and as long as they've got support, um, I think that, you know, if, if, you're thinking, is this medication doing something for me right now? How do I come off it or how do I challenge it? Um, start with a pharmacist and try and reduce it very, very slowly if, you're, if, if, if you think that might be of benefit for you. Absolutely. And like you were saying, I mean, there are some people where they still need to be on it. So it's really important to have that conversation with um, a trusted health professional or even, like you say, a multidisciplinary team mm -hmm. to figure out whether you should be, because we know that some people do benefit and they should be on it and, and it shouldn't be something that they fear or, you know, um, yeah, feel like, you yeah. know, they're unusual for doing that or, you know, um, yeah, that, that, I don't know. I think, again, there's just so much stigmatisation, unfortunately, that kind of surrounds that area. Yeah. Yeah you said and you can't have a blanket rule that just because of trials that this is not you know we need to measure the benefit and if you measure the benefit you can see it yeah. <laughs> um yeah. and there's tools like the brief pain inventory tool where you um can just fill out the form um check it pre and post do those kind of things regularly and and that it's as simple as that a form and then changing or tapering the medication and see what the outcomes are Essential, knowledgeable, indispensable, your pharmacist. And so then what are some other services that are actually available for support for people with chronic pain? So I think one of um, the best things to have a look at with, if you live with chronic pain is actually Pain Australia. I think they've got a fantastic website. And if you're looking at, um, you know, wanting to have, more of a holistic care treatment or you're looking at pain clinics or pain programs as well. They have a whole list of um, where a pain program would be located for you and those sort of things. Um, I always say everyone on your team needs to bring the A game. <laughs> so they need to be there supporting you, listening to you and understanding how pain's impacting your life. Whenever I have a consultation with a client, that's exactly where my conversation goes from the beginning. It's not about, okay, what medication are you taking? What is it used for? And asking all of those sort of questions, which are useful, but not 
um, at the beginning when you're trying to understand someone and get to know how this condition is really impacting them. So that I think from a consumer point of view is, is looking at what your conversations are like with, with your healthcare team and are they really understanding your and empower yourself? You don't have to be stuck with the same pharmacist or GP or physiotherapist if you're not getting outcomes. There are, and I know in rural, rural and regional settings, it is challenging to find you might only have the one option. Um, but telehealth and I think COVID has really changed um, the way that we probably will work in in healthcare um, because all of my um, consultations are done via telehealth um, and our whole team at um, the team that I work with at Beyond Pain, all of us have worked in persistent pain our whole careers and we all do it remotely. So all of them are down in Melbourne or um, Sydney and then we have individual providers around that we know that we recommend um, and we work with them from a coaching point of view and also reviewing um, and supporting their individual healthcare team as well. So there's lots of different services around there. Your GP has access to um, something called a GP management plan. So they can actually refer you to other health professionals to sort of build up that team. And a lot of it can be covered under Medicare. It is really hard living with a chronic condition, um, especially if you're not working and the financial implications of that. Um, but there are great um, sources as well in your community facilities. So I've had some clients who uh, I think they pay like $10 a month or something like that. And they have this amazing exercise program and they can do hydrotherapy and all of these sort of things in their community facility. So don't forget about those community centres. They are there for a reason. They do things like Tai Chi and it's really cheap or it's free a lot of the time. And it's a way to sort of meet new people, get socialised and, and do those sort of things. And just don't forget about your family unit and your support units around as well. Um, I think living with pain, the worst question you can ask them is how are you doing? <laughs> because you can't, I loved your um, podcast about um, invisible conditions because pain is in, invisible a lot of time to people. So um, making sure your support unit really understands what you're going through as well. Um, and there's great books out there and there's great podcasts and there's on the Pain Australia app, they even have free online courses for people living with chronic pain as well. And they, um, and I always recommend family members and friends to also, if you're supporting someone who lives with pain to, to be involved in that as well, educating yourself and understanding it too. Great. And that's wonderful that there is so many options. So we'll make sure we put the links um, into the show notes as well so that people can go into that. And some of those, you know, those forms that you were talking about, because I think sometimes people just feel like they're not confident or they, you know, they're, they're not able to kind of, you know, be in control and, and they should be, people should be completely in control of what they're doing and everyone should be working around them. We call that patient centered care. And it's ultimately what we're all aiming for as health professionals to help people. So yeah, that's fantastic. So, so Nicolette, what are then your five indispensable tips about chronic pain? Um, so my five tips is make sure you have a goal in mind of what you want to achieve. Measure it. So you might take something like a um, brief pain inventory and I'll send you that link as well just to measure pre and post what your treatment plan is. Um, make sure you always have your medications reviewed or have in mind what is the purpose of that medication 
So is it to improve my function? Is it to improve my sleep? Is it to improve my mental health? Those sort of things um, are really, really valuable to think about around um, the use of a medication. Um, and take the power back from pain. So pain is can be all-encompassing and take over your life and limit you from doing those things that you really love doing. And sometimes we have to accept that, unfortunately, I can't go surfing anymore or... I can't go surfing now, maybe in the next five years or two years or one year, I can go surfing again or I can attempt again. So it's about taking the power back um, from the pain and not letting it sort of rule your life or, or what you can do. Um, and really, really find support. Uh, people living with pain need support. They need support from their families, um, their friends socially. If you can't find the support, maybe um, look at online groups as well. They can be really helpful. And always make sure that your um, healthcare team is bringing their A game and everyone's there for a reason. I love that. Thank you so much, Nicolette. <laughs> My pleasure. It's been wonderful. Indispensable contains general medicine and health advice and is not intended to be a substitute for professional individual medical advice. We endeavour to ensure it is accurate and up-to-date. However, we can't guarantee that it will always apply to you. Always seek the guidance of your pharmacist or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding your health or a medical condition. This episode is brought to you by me, the Indispensable Pharmacist. Don't forget to subscribe to Indispensable and leave a review so we can help more people. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn by searching for Farm Online. That's P-H-A-R-M online. I'd love to hear your suggestions for the next topic to be covered on Indispensable.